Oh my god, I've been spending so much time just watching TikTok videos. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, it's really doing my head in. Maybe I'll be Tracer. <laughs> They're just so addicting. I like the ones so addicting. It's the guys with like he's trying to play the uh, he's trying to play Overwatch on like a microwave. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it takes a pizza out of it. It's just beautiful. Yeah, and he's just like turning the controller power on. As well. <laughs> or he's got the headphones taped to his head. Yeah, it's uh, just. It's Why'd just you get so funny. Like bad guys. I've had, had this, this question, question for a really long time. I've been here for... <laughs> oh, the cringe! The cringe is just so you can't look away. It's like watching a slow motion train wreck. Good morning. You're listening to the Brood for Work podcast with Cameron and Tom. The podcast for coffee lovers and scientists. Or just anyone who wants podcasts to throw on and learn something new. So, we've got a lot to talk about coffee-wise this morning, because I went to Bath this weekend. Finally, after saying you would for the past two years. Genuinely, I've been in Bristol for about two years now, and I didn't realise Bath was so close. I mean, I feel like it's the sort of thing that you'd at least scope out before you went. It was genuinely 12 minutes on the train and only about £5 return, I should have gone sooner. Yeah, I think you probably should have. (laughs) So me and you both do this thing where we'll go to new cities and we'll just try out a bunch of new coffee shops. Not pub crawls, but coffee crawls. Coffee crawls, because we're just utter hipster trash. But yeah, we it's something that we do, and it's just nice to get a sense of the coffee scene in new cities, and it's a good way to explore. And also a really good way to get a huge caffeine high. As we both figured out when we went to Leeds. <laughs> we get proper <laughs> caffeine highs. I didn't drink as much coffee when I went to Bath just because I wanted to get back and work and I knew I couldn't if I drank too much. <laughs> yeah. So at the end of the day, I'd only had four coffees as opposed to the normal six or seven we <laughs> that's have. That's true. Yeah, that's probably too much coffee. So I held back, but because it's so close, I'll definitely be going again soon. When I got into Bath, it was a cold early Sunday morning at 930 so I wanted to get some gloves, but nowhere was open, and I was absolutely freezing. So the first priority was to quickly find a coffee shop that was open. And the first place I went was Society. So Society in Bristol actually has three other stores in the country. They have one in Oxford and two more in Bath. They have a larger one and a smaller one. So the first one I actually went to was the smaller one of the two, which when I say small is only slightly larger than the kiosk in York. And kiosk in York is literally about 12 foot by 8. Yeah, you could maybe get like 10 to 12 people. That's a good size, I'd say. Yeah, it it was really nice. It was just cosy. So I went in and immediately they're playing Novo Amor, which is another like ambient music similar to last week I talked about Olaf Arnold. I instantly recognised the music. I was like, absolutely quality music immediately. And it's... Very strange, but I do judge a shop on what music they're playing. Oh, you have to. Like, I went to that new one in York on Goodrum Gate. Yeah. And they were playing just top 40 trash and instantly lowered my expectations of the shop. Yeah, the music and just the general atmosphere of the shop is just a big part of it. Oh, yeah. It's just a big part of the entire experience, which is why I like going on these coffee crawls and finding new shops. So after talking to the baristas about what coffees they've actually got on at the moment, because they are actually different coffees than the ones in the Bristol store. That's good to see. I mean, I ended up getting a Honduras 
batch brew from Has Been Roasters. So Has Been are a big forum online about coffee, and I didn't actually know that they roasted their own coffee until fairly recently. So I wasn't sure what to expect from Has Been Roasters, because I've had it in the Bristol store before, and it was fairly average, it wasn't anything special. But this one was actually really nice. It had a rich cranberry nose right off the bat, and when I actually tasted it, it had a really strawberry sweetness, and then a slight cranberry acidity. It was a really delicate coffee. Mm. And then it had some really, like, subtle cherry undertones. Just a really, like, complex, fruity coffee, which isn't what I was expecting from a Honduras. Normally, I'm not a huge fan of Hondurases. They tend to be really quite light, medium, but toffee notes. Yeah, it's kind of like the Colombian of light coffees. Yeah, and it was really well complimented because it was done in a batch brew. It was a really like round mouthfeel and just quite oily as well. Mm. It wasn't what I'd normally go for just off the bat without having tasted it, but it was. It did end up being fairly decent and I was quite happy with it. So overall, the society, the small society shop was probably my favourite atmosphere of the day. Yeah. Just because the music they were playing, the coziness of the shop, and then just the all-around decor. They had cool, like, vintage lamps mm. and the artwork that was on the walls. It was just a really nice feel. I mean, without wanting to sound too pretentious, I feel like with larger shops, you're in the risk of it feeling really commercial. And I'll get on to that later. Oh, that's good. We touched on something good there. Yeah. I like the sound of that. So the second place I went to was Makoko Coffee. This is a shop that's just next to the Bath Abbey. So it's in a really, really nice location. And I was not expecting much from here whatsoever. I had a look on the website when you mentioned it and it just looked a bit generic, family-run cafe type thing. Yeah, that's what it seems like. And it looked more like a bakery food kind of place Yeah. rather than coffee. So I went in just to try it, basically. And this was my favourite coffee of the day. Wow. This completely took me by surprise. It was a Guatemala single mm. origin, and this was also done in a batch brew. And they actually roast their own, um, they have their own roasters. I don't know where they're located. This is, it's a small little chain similar to Society. There's a few, there's yeah. one in Bristol again. So I wasn't expecting a lot from it, but when I got it, it was absolutely perfect for that day. Mm. It was a proper thick, syrupy, toffee nose. And then when you tasted it, it was super bold nectarine notes and clementine and then mulling spices. And it was just really syrupy. So it was really just perfect for that cold winter day that it was. Mm. It was super warming and comforting. The only gripe that I had against it was it was really sweet and maybe a little too sweet because of the spice, the like mulling spices that were in yeah, it. Yeah, there was a risk of that, yeah. I ended up giving it five stars because it was just such a surprise. I wasn't expecting anything from it whatsoever. Mm. The shop itself didn't blow me away. There was a lot of families there going in for lunch and stuff like that. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. So the atmosphere wasn't the kind of place that I would normally go for. But the coffee was worth it. The coffee just took me completely by surprise. I just wasn't expecting mm. it whatsoever. That's just one thing I want to ask real quick. Um, because it's not something I've got much experience with, I suppose. Um, how come batch brews are so prevalent in the B Bristol Bath area? Um, it's just really interesting. Like, you always mention to me that you're having a batch brew or whatnot. It just seems... It's not really something that I've had much experience with. Yeah, so batch brews... They're very similar to a big, like a very large Chemex, the batch brews that I've come across. 
And I think they're so prevalent in larger cities because when you're getting higher volumes of customers through, they're much faster because they're literally just kept in like a kettle. They're brewed in big batches and then just kept yeah. in, kept hot yeah. for the rest I'm, of the I'm day. I'm looking on the North Star website. It's basically, it's just basically the new version of the old, like the big pot of coffee they had in diners. Yeah, essentially, thing. that's what it is. And it's when I'm going into work that's what I'll pop into society and get because it genuinely, they just have to pour it into a cup. Yeah. That doesn't take any, any time whatsoever. And I think it is going to produce a slightly worse coffee than you'd get when it was, if it was a V60 and stuff. Especially because when they've got a new coffee in, it takes a lot longer to dial in the coffee. I liken them quite a lot to like an Aeropress or a heavier Chemex. Yeah. They're not as light as V60s. Yeah, okay. But they're, they're pretty good. So the third place that I went in Bath, I went to Kelowna and Smalls. So this was a very long shop. Like, it was very <laughs> long. And one of the baristas there actually came fifth in the World Barista Championships, and I think it was 2015. Oh, wow. They just had the trophy on the wall, and I was like, huh, that's pretty cool. That's an achievement, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they actually had a siphon there. And it was the first time that I've actually seen a Hario Siphon being brewed and stuff. Mm. You sent me a photo that. It just looked fascinating. And I really, really want to get one now. Unfortunately, the coffee that I chose, they didn't do through the Siphon. They did it as an AeroPress, which I was a little bit gutted about. Mm. But, oh well. They had the brew bar where you could sit at and just watch the barista and talk to the barista about it, similar to how Origin did it in London, which I just love that idea, and that's one of the ideas that I want in my own coffee shop if I ever yeah. open one. That's the kind of thing that I want. Because it is like a performance making coffee, especially if you're making a siphon or a V60. It oh, is yeah, a for sure. full-on performance. The coffee that I actually had was a Panama coffee. Okay. Which, after saying last week I'm not too experienced with Panama coffees, I decided to give this one a go. Mm. And it's probably the most floral coffee I've ever had. It was so full of just violet and lavender florals. Mm. And then it had a slight passion fruit sweetness. Oh, passion fruit. And then the thing that was really good about it was it had the finish on it was just like wine gums. So it was super sweet and just tarty. It was a really, really nice coffee. It was, the atmosphere was very busy. Yeah. It was extremely busy. You could tell that this place is well known in Bath. And for a good reason as well. They had a lot of coffee to offer as well. For every espresso-based drink on the menu, they had three different espressos to choose from. That's that's an impressive choice. They had three single origins to pre to choose from for the filter coffees as well. Yeah. And it wasn't a case of if someone asked for a cappuccino, they'd just say, okay, put through this one. They would ask every customer and then explain with the customer, like, which would go better in a cappuccino, which goes best as a pure espresso. Yeah. And I even heard them one time, someone asked for a cappuccino in one of the espressos and they actually said no. They were like, this wouldn't work extremely well in a cappuccino. You can have it if you would like, but we would advise against it. We would advise this one as, an, as a cappuccino because the specific one you asked for works better as an espresso just on its own. That's not afraid to say no to the customer. Yeah, exactly. That's, they know what they are tasting even if the customer might not be so apt at tasting the coffee yeah they themselves don't want to be giving the customer a bad coffee oh yeah for sure yeah so that really like that really impressed me and it's probably the first time i've ever seen that done yeah that's i've never heard of that happening ever really 
that was Kelowna and Smalls. So the final place I went to was the larger of the two society cafes. Mm-hmm. And this one was just, frankly, disappointing. Oh, that's... I expect it to be at least okay for being society. Yeah. I have just such high standards from society as well, because I love the Bristol store so much. Yeah. This was nothing like the Bristol store. So I had another batch brew here, and this one ended up being a Nicaragua single origin, which, right off the bat, I should have known that I wasn't going to like this. Yeah, it was just... It was really dark for, for a batch brew. It was caramel cinnamon nose... And then it was that dark chocolate and cinnamon notes. That's not, no. Maybe it'd work in a flat white or something. Yeah, it did have some, like, Satsuma undertones. Yeah. Just underwhelming. And I think that's what I generally get from Nicaragua. Yeah, I tend to stay away, well away from that. And the atmosphere, this is what I was referring to earlier when you mentioned about coffee shops being commercialised. Yeah. That's what this was like. It was just a lot of, a lot of people... And it was just them pumping out, like, bulk orders, really. I felt like there wasn't that care put in the coffee as well. And the atmosphere just wasn't great. It was very dark and dingy and not what I come to expect from society. Especially from the first two stalls. Yeah, it's very unsociety-like. So, I've been talking for a while, Tom. Yes. What have you been drinking? Um, Well, mine's been a lot less adventurous than yours. I, again, as I was talking about last week, I've only just really finished that Panama that I've been having, which was, for a Panama, disappointing again. It was not nearly as bright and juicy as I'd come to expect. So I have moved on to bigger and better things now. I've decided to go back to, as we both know, um, Square Mile is pretty prevalent in York, again, due to Spring Espresso being there. And I have picked up a bag of a Kenyan, which I haven't had in a while. Uh, And it's actually a mix of Four different varieties. So we've got SL28, SL34, Ruru11, and Bashian, which is unusual. Yeah. Um, And the notes on the bag say cranberry, wine gums, and bright. Hey, wine gums as well. Yeah. Um, And it is really odd. Both the, off the nose and the taste is exactly like dark coloured wine gums. It's kind of uncanny, which is really fascinating because it gives this kind of really fruity, juicy aftertaste to it as well. Again, it just kind of hit you around the face a bit with that kind of tart cranberry. And I also got a tiny bit of undercoat of kind of spiced orange as well, which is, although well, I didn't mention it, but I found that was really interesting. Yeah. What did you say the origin was? Kenyan. Kenyan. Oh yeah, the SL28 and SL34. Um, what else have we been having? Um, I went to uh, Spring Espresso proper the other day and had an absolutely fantastic coffee. They're not actually selling it, it's one of their uh, discontinued ones because, as you know, Square Mile changes the coffees out on a pretty much yeah. weekly basis. And it was a pulped natural Kilimanjaro. Oh. It was probably the cleanest cup I've had in months. It was absolutely fantastic. And I don't know which one it was because it's not on the website and they don't have any information on it because it was the last. It wasn't the usual range. It was the limited range. Yeah. And it was just absolutely incredible. If I hadn't lost my 33 coffees book, I would have given it five stars. You've lost your 33 coffees book. It's in my room somewhere. God damn it, Thomas. So I feel like we've been talking a lot about coffee this week, Tom. Yeah, that was quite a lot of coffee mentioned. So how about you tell me what you've been reading this week? Yeah, sure. Um, So I've been keeping on, again, with most of my dissertation reading um, and neglecting everything else. So I've just been reading up again about working memory and autism issues. It's not per se directly related 
to the type of working memory that I'm looking at. This is to do with membrane faces, but I just thought it was really interesting, so I wanted to check it out anyway. So this is a paper by Ohern, Schroer, Minchu, and Luna, and the title is Lack of Developmental Improvement on a Face Memory Task During Adolescence in Autism. So as usual, it'll be linked in the show notes as well if anyone wants to go and have a read of it. Of course it will be. So this was a study involving 34 individuals, all of who had autism spectrum disorder. And what's really interesting is the age range in this paper. So normally research will focus on, say, childhood, say, 5 to 9-year-old, adolescence, 12 to 15, and then 16 plus. This study involves participants ranging from the ages of 9 to 29, Hmm. which is a really cool thing to see because adulthood autism spectrum disorders with working memory is a really neglected field of research. People forget that adolescence continues into your early 20s, essentially. So people just normally cut off the research at around 16 and then treat them as adults, which is completely infactual and not the right thing to do, I think. So yeah, we've got 34 individuals with autism in that age range, and these were matched to 34 typically developing control subjects, 31 males in the autism group and 30 males in the control group, which is another deviation from research because most research in autism seems to focus on female participants. So this is already a really good study to look at because it's kind of going against... So why does most research in autism disorders focus on female? I've heard a lot that it's generally males that suffer from autism. Maybe not autism research, but I suppose definitely memory research focuses a lot on females. And especially research looking at adolescence and development in that. Just because the changes in female adolescence are so much easier to spot and work with it's all external markers are a lot easier to look at and distinguish whether someone is going through puberty than a male so it just so happens that more research is done on females fair enough and they gave them a interview essentially to look at the range of autism so it's a a self-report questionnaire which goes through different behaviors like communication interaction behavior and it just gives you a score essentially and there's going to be a cutoff point that they'll use to distinguish whether they are on the spectrum and then for the actual experiment phase of it they had to memorize a face and then pick that face out from like a selection of faces so they had them memorize these faces in different conditions to try and kind of replicate real world conditions i suppose because if you do it in a lab where everything is controlled it's not going to be very reflective of real life situations essentially Yeah, you always have limitations like that. Exactly. So they used distractor faces as well, so just to make sure they weren't just solely looking at the target face. Mm. And so they found that there were main effects for people with autism. So essentially, people with autism performed more poorly than the control groups. And with each condition that happened, their um, memory for the conditions actually got worse. Also, there was an interaction between age and group. Oh, and looking at within analysis of variance. So essentially, as they got older, the group differences changed, which is really cool. And again, if we link it in the show notes, there's a bunch of really cool graphs to look at that really help illustrate this. Like there are pretty big differences going on here. Yeah. So yeah, essentially, as you get older, your ability to memorize faces changes. And if you are on the autistic spectrum, you do more poorly. When you say changes, yeah, 
it gets worse. Much, much better performance for the typically developing people as they get older. Okay. I mean, we've got a jump from between 9 and 12 ages from just above 50% to an average of around about 80%. Okay, fair. So you're getting better if you don't have autism. If you're, what is it, normotypical? Typically developing. Yeah. So you're getting better. But... You're, getting impre- you're getting better regardless of whether you have autism or not. But if you don't have autism, you have huge gains, especially yeah. between the ages of 13, 17 and 16, 29. Yeah. Um, this is just generally expected behavior because you're developing more neural pathways as you go through adolescence. You're getting more specialized behaviors in terms of memory. And obviously, as you improve your social skills, you're getting more practice with these neural pathways. Yeah, so that's something that is is lacking in autism, isn't it? That you don't have that sense of social skills. Yes, As exactly. much of a sense of social skills, so... I mean, there's some research session that um, some people with autism, uh, especially on the kind of what's called autistic savants, some of them have got absolutely exceptional memories for specific things. Some of it yeah. might be faces, but generally, on the most part, yeah, um, facial recognition suffers a lot in autism. And there's often a lot of face blindness as well. Especially yeah. in a low-functioning autism. That's really interesting. Have you been focusing on hearts again? Or... Of course. This week I've been learning a lot about arrhythmias. Oh, yeah. So the main arrhythmia that I've been looking at recently has been long QT syndrome, which is um, signified by a long QT period within the ECG trace. Yeah. So it's basically your heart cells are taking longer to repolarize. So they're spending longer in this refractory period where they can't send another beat. It's just a little dangerous because it can it can lead to a type of arrhythmia called tour de poids. Okay. Which is a polymorphic ventricular tachycardia associated with abnormal cardiac repolarization. Yeah. So it's a very fast, really random heartbeat, and there's no pattern to it. And it can be really dangerous. In fact, it can actually degenerate into ventricular fibrillation yeah. and sudden cardiac death. And it's how most people with long QT syndrome actually end up dying. So it's it's actually quite a dangerous uh, syndrome to have this LQT syndrome. And it's actually got two forms. It's got inherited and acquired inherited are mutations of these the ion channels responsible but the more common commonly seen is uh, induced drug induced or acquired long qt syndrome okay yeah where drugs are blocking these channels and the channels that we've been looking at specifically are the ikr channels which are really important in repolarizing the heart during the plateau phase but the main one i've been looking at is a mutation in the uh, Herg subunit. So Herg is human erythagogo related gene. It's the major alpha subunit in the IKR channel. So Herg was initially found because it had very similar characteristics to the IKR channel. Mm. Similar current voltage rate uh, relationship, a similar voltage dependence, and it also showed the same paradoxical modulation as the IKR channel. So as potassium outside the cell increases, the current actually increased. Okay. Which is contrary to what you would expect because the channel, it allows efflux of potassium out of the cell. Hmm. And when you increase the potassium outside of the cell, you would expect the driving force for the concentration gradient to be lower. Yeah. Because 
it's going into a place of more more potassium yeah but that's the opposite of what's occurring all right if you okay. have if you have higher potassium outside the cell you would actually get more reflux uh, which was a bit strange that and is weird <laughs> it's it's quite rare in to see in ion channels so they saw this and the fact that it was blocked by uh, lanthium and cobalt as well. They suspected it was going to have something, this Herg gene was going to have something to do with this IKR channel. But the thing that confused them was that it was also blocked by certain drugs. Hmm. Okay. Um, no, that Herg wasn't blocked by certain right. drugs, whereas IKR was blocked by drugs. So this led them to the conclusion that IKR was made up of a Herg major alpha subunit and another binding site subunit that this smaller site was responsible for the binding of these drugs. So they were looking into this Herg subunit and they found that the way that it works is that the activation, the voltage dependent activation, was actually quite a bit slower than the voltage dependent inactivation of it. So the channel actually works by rapidly inactivating before it's actually even activated. Right. And then it slowly recovers from this inactivation, allowing for a slow rise in, in the potassium current, so a slower release at the beginning. And then as it flows, it, it slowly recovers from inactivation. So there's more open channels, so you get more flux later on in the action potential. Okay. So this is really interesting behavior, and this is how the maintenance of the cardiac action potential, the plateau, actually functions. Yeah. So you get more reflux of potassium at the end so that you've got a more of a rapid repolarization at the end of the action potential, hmm. which is an extremely interesting behavior that happens. Hmm. So how this channel actually contributes to LQT is that if you've got an abnormally functioning channel, this repolarization isn't occurring because it isn't recovering from the inactivation at the end of the action potential. Okay. So you're staying in this repolarizing phase for longer, which can then induce early after depolarization. So another, essentially another beat of the heart before the heart's correctly repolarized. And this can lead to the tour de poire arrhythmia and then further into ventricular fibrillation. So the way that drugs induce this is because HERG, this HERG subunit, actually has a very strong attraction to drugs to block it. Like right. a lot of drugs, even typical ones like um, aspirin, typical antiarrhythmic drugs tend to bind to it to delay repolarization. And just a lot of drugs, and it actually turns out that Every drug that's put on the market now has to be tested to see if it significantly affects this Herg protein because it can be so dangerous. It can induce these arrhythmias quite effectively. Okay. It has certain adaptions, like it has a very wide pore and it also has different residuals on the on the pore chamber that allow binding of a wide range of drugs that aren't normally seen in ion channels. Mm. So it's a major target for a lot of different drugs and it can very easily block them. And what happens when it blocks as well is that drugs often trigger the inactivation process when, once they bind. And that actually means that the drug then can't escape the channel. So it 
it is just blocked and it's it's just very difficult so it's this this type of action occurs with so many drugs that it's very easily it very, it's very easy to induce long qt syndrome especially when people are trying to take multiple different types of drugs because if they're already taking like aspirin and then some antidepressants cuz a lot of antidepressants also block this channel mm they can't then like be put onto more medication and you have to be really careful because if you take too many of these inducing drugs you can really cause some serious problems yeah this is actually the reason why you can't take a lot of drugs together is Mm. a lot of them are this type of herg blocking drug all right been really interesting to find out about all these different arrhythmias we've been also looking at short qt syndrome which is a really rare type of arrhythmia Mm. But I won't get into that because we've already been going for very, very long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been super interesting. Well, Tom, this really has been an interesting episode from long QT syndrome arrhythmias to memory of learning faces in the autistic spectrum. Mm, and we've also, thanks to you, had a lovely virtual tour of Bath via the world of coffee shops. And I've mentioned some lovely Kenyan coffee that I've been drinking. Yeah, so if you want to know more about the coffee that we've been talking about or read the papers we've been discussing, everything, as usual, will be, will be linked in the show notes along with our Twitter at Brood for Work. And, of course, as usual, make sure to subscribe on whatever podcast service you are using. And um, Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.